Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, for those who uh, tuned in earlier this week, I hinted that we might have a special guest, which we haven't had on this podcast in a very long time. We have ended that drought, and ending that drought is my man, Mike Petraglia, a.k.a. Trags of CLNS Media, joining me solo today as Andrew Gillis continues his vacation. Trags, I think it's been, gosh, I could be wrong, maybe four months since I've had you on. Yeah. It's been four months too long, man. How yeah. are you, sir? How Likewise. are you? I'm. I have enjoyed my off season, Mo. I really have. I've been golfing. I've been taking care of the yard. I've been doing some traveling uh, back east to, to see my sister and uh, spending a little time with the kids, uh, but not much because they're in college now, so they're off doing their own thing. But mostly uh, spending time around the house, doing the golf thing, and uh, actually doing some uh, bargain hunting on my uh, clothes. I'm I'm like so proud of myself that I'm able to go out like a human being during the five to six weeks that we get to ourselves um, and uh, just take care of the wardrobe and uh, get freshened up for the new season. Man, I, I feel you on that. And I know people can't see this, but you are wearing a very nice golf shirt. Was was that a bargain hunt? I'm just curious. Uh, it, it was. It's uh, Peter Millar, but it makes me look like Barney. And you know what? <laughs> those out there who are not old enough to remember the 1990s, Google Barney. Oh, I remember. And that's him. what I look like right now. Yeah, I'm only 25, but I remember the later part of Barney before he kind of dwindled away. So that that's a good analogy. You kind of brought some nostalgia. Don't you out think? There. I mean, you can see me now. That our audience can't, but yeah. you can see what I look like. It's Barney. Yeah, man. You don't quite look like a dinosaur, though. You got the colors, but this you're... is true. That's a fair point. That's very maybe, maybe if you take the glasses off, you might. <laughs> Oh, I can never get enough of you, Trags. Always uh, a fixture. Word, the, my dog. Always a fixture in the Bengals media room, my dog. You uh, are yes. my dog. Indeed. My guy. So obviously, uh, it's, yeah, definitely been a good summer for you. It's been good for me. I, I traveled quite a bit myself. Um, I told, I think I mentioned this on Monday to our listeners uh, when I was on the podcast solo. But in about a span of a week, I went to Chicago, Miami, and Gatlinburg. Now, I actually didn't fly to all those places. I only flew to Miami. I drove to Chicago and back, and I drove to Tennessee and back. Uh, Chicago, I went with my sister. Uh, my younger sister is in college. Uh, Miami, I just went by myself because I like to kind of get away on my own sometimes. And then my brother and I went to Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, because he likes the mountains and so do I. So yeah, the mountains yeah, are definitely. beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, I don't get to do it often. Obviously, I don't know I like if you've ever been out west. Have you been out west to the uh, Rockies? Um. I've been to Salt Lake City. I've yeah. been to San Francisco. I've been to Portland. Um, I've been through Wyoming. I've been to Yellowstone National Park. I've been to Glacier National Park. I used to live in Montana, for those who don't know. So I actually went to Yellowstone and Glacier. And oh, I think you that's know. about it. See, I, I, I like the mountains out west uh, a little bit more than the eastern mountains. But the yeah. eastern, you know, Gatlinburg or even 
up in the green mountains of Vermont. Uh, they're gorgeous. They're incredible. Mountains Highly recommend a getaway for the uh, for the leaf peepers uh, who like to uh, see the changing uh, the foliage, fall foliage. That is a trip worth making. Highly yeah. recommend. Yeah. Yeah. I think the mountains out west are probably bigger and more vast. Whereas I feel like if you go to Gatlinburg or Appalachia, it's uh, it's vast too, but it's not like as eye popping, if that makes sense. I, I've been to both, so I can kind of compare it. But yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, but like you said, though, Trags, I mean, all of that's kind of coming to an end. Training camp is, I mean, literally a week from yep. today, I believe. First practice, Correct. at least, is a week from today. Um, you know, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but um, you wrote a really good article uh, talking about Joe Mixon and the pay cut that he took. And I talked about it. Andrew talked about it. But, you know, you had some really good insight that I wanted to kind of pick your brain on. You know, sure. It, it's very obvious that if Joe Mixon doesn't take that pay cut, he's released and he's either a free agent like Dalvin right. Cook and Zeke Elliott, or he goes to another team for about the same money, if not less. So, Although, yes, we could agree that, like, Mixon didn't really have any leverage in this situation. How much of it do you really feel like came down to him wanting to stay with the Bengals and being with Joe Burrow for at least a year, possibly two, if he finishes his deal? I really think Joe Burrow made out very well in this, Mo, because uh, the Bengals, as you said, did not have to keep him necessarily, um, and they were willing to give him essentially – um, $10 million guaranteed over the next two years. Sure, they could cut him next year, but I don't think they are going to do that unless he completely falls off a cliff. And, you know, he gets, you know, 10 million bucks in the bank or at least 5 million guaranteed and the potential to make another $4 million in additional incentives. So depending on how you want to look at that, but he, you know, he gets guaranteed money. Bengals aren't going to cut him, and he gets to stay on a Super Bowl caliber roster for at least this year and probably next year as well. He's only 27. And for those who are listening to this and say, well, yeah, but his numbers were, you know, so mediocre last year. Well, they were in terms of the run game, but I don't think a, the run game, the blocking, um, throughout at least the early part of the year was that great. And secondly, and more importantly, I think Muhammad is the fact that, um, Mixon was used more in the past game. He set career highs last year he did. for receptions and receiving yards and his snaps uh, really didn't go down that that much. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think they went up. And, uh, you know, I just think that the fact that, uh, you know, the Bengals saw still saw value in having Mixon around, even with the off-field issues uh, after the season, the two legal issues that have, um, you know, are resolving themselves. The Bengals really, to me, in this particular case, needed to uh, guarantee their running back position. Uh, you know, Chase Brown may or may not turn out to be that guy. Uh, I don't think he projects to be what Joe Mixon projected to be coming out of Oklahoma, at least right away. Uh, so in Joe Mixon, they have a guy that is comfortable with the Bengals offense and, and Joe Burrow is obviously comfortable with Joe Mixon. Uh, and, you know, the Bengals need some stability at that position, especially after losing Samaj P. Ryan. So, you know, with the Bengals uh, reworking the deal, they get about $10 million more uh, in cap space out of the deal, um, you know, at 
four four point three million this year and about another five five and a half next year. So they get that out of the deal and they can at least move forward to trying and getting the Burrow and T Hickson uh, T Higgins deals and Logan Wilson done. You know, to that point you just made there about all those extensions, it, it almost seems like there's a confidence in the Bengals front office that I don't want to say wasn't there before, but it's just different. Like even with all these losses you had, like Jesse Bates, Von Bell, you mentioned Samaj P. Ryan, of course, Hayden Hurst, um, even Brandon Allen, the backup, like all, all the different departures you could list. It just seems like in Trey Flowers, the cornerback, like it just seems like the Bengals have had this plan all along. Like they draft Jordan Battle, they draft Chase Brown. Um, they bring in Irv Smith Jr., even if it's for another year, they still bring him in. You know, d- does it almost seem like just the way the Bengals front office has operated in, you know, the Joe Bro era, does it just almost kind of make it seem like there is this confidence that they know they're not just a good championship team, but they're capable of building a championship team with what they have? Great point. Um, I also think that everything changes when you have a franchise superstar quarterback, you know, and yes, I, you know, was in new England for 27 years, covered the Tom Brady era uh, with the Patriots. Everything changes when you have a quarterback of that caliber. And yes, Burrow needs to win a Super Bowl to take that next step in his career and his stature in the NFL. There's no question about that. And, you know, I'm not saying Joe Burrow is Tom Brady when he hasn't won a you know, a Super Bowl yet. I'm not making that point at all. But when you have a guy like Burrow who sets the bar so high himself, I think everything else falls into place. I always have had confidence in the Bengals in the way they operate in terms of their philosophy. They stick to their philosophy for better or for worse. They don't really veer off course very much. That's what makes what they've done this offseason a little eye-opening, if you will. Certainly, they changed their attitude when it comes to Orlando Brown Jr., giving him uh, the amount of guaranteed money they did up front uh, in, in the first two years of the deal, something like $30 million, mm-hmm. I believe it is. Um, and then you take a look at what they just did with Mixon, what we just talked about. They don't rip up contracts and kick the can down the road, even if it's one year down the road. Well, they did in this particular case because they wanted the running back that Joe Burrow was most comfortable with and a running back who is still 27 years of age, who you're getting him uh, at, you know, $5 million a year. That's not too bad. $12 million or 12.8 on the cap. That would have been a big nut to crack uh, for what Mixon was giving you, at least in the running game. Well, when you take a look at five million, that's a different ball game. And uh, you know, I have always respected the Bengals front office for the way they do business because they never extend themselves. They never get into cap hell. And say what you will, mm-hmm. the Bengals have struggled over the years, not because of the way the front office has operated uh, in terms of their contracts. That is a big misnomer coming from somebody uh, like myself who was in New England but still is a Cincinnati native, followed the Bengals very closely. They got into trouble because they couldn't get the quarterback right, and their personnel evaluations weren't always on point. They have addressed those two things. They have a tremendous coaching staff. As good as Marvin Lewis was, and he was good, um, I'm not saying that he wasn't, 
But this Zach Taylor unit that has stayed together, not only the coordinators, but the coaches like Marion Hobby, like Frank Pollock, like Dan Troy Walters, the individual coaching groups on this staff are remarkably talented. And that, to me, has been the big rise in the performance of the Bengals uh, over the last two years. You know, I'm so glad you actually clarified that track. So I think for a long time, people, you know, they demonized Marvin Lewis. They demonized Mike Brown in the front office. And, you know, maybe there's some criticisms there, but I think it was really most just the fact that they couldn't get a solid franchise quarterback. They could not. The other thing, Mo, I'm just going to interrupt here. Yeah, they couldn't get the culture right. If you want to criticize Marvin for one thing, he could not do in that locker room what Zach Taylor has been able to do. Exactly. And get guys who are completely and utterly committed to football. And the one, and I wrote this about Mixon on CLNS media uh, in that column you referenced. Mixon has kept his mouth shut. He's shown up at everything in the off season. Um, you, You can debate, you know, whether or not, you know, he's, all on board or we don't know because we're not in those meeting rooms, but from everything I've been able to glean and in talking to other players in that locker room, Mixon's bought in, you know, he did not sit out. He did not complain. He did not, you know, bitch and moan one iota about the stuff that has happened to him on the field, off the field, whatever. He kept his mouth shut. He showed up. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. There was no drama in the Marvin Lewis era. There was too much drama. Yes, and there was. When you have drama, it's disruptive to the culture. You're try- Every NFL team is trying to build a professional football first culture. And it was too disruptive to the culture in the Marvin Lewis locker room. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I mean, obviously, you look at Pac-Man Jones. Uh, you looked at, you know, that playoff game against Pittsburgh, Vontez Burfecht, a lot of the noise he brought. I mean, that's just. Some of many examples. Great obviously. players, but 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 Just couldn't control themselves. Could not control themselves, and were not committed to the football first culture. And when you have guys like that, um, they can perform on the field and they can make big plays in big moments, but they can also do the opposite. Yes, we saw that in the second Pittsburgh playoff game in twenty in January twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, but we saw it numerous times. Yeah, uh, you know, at the end of the 2015 right. season. Yeah. And um, we also saw it with Carlos Dunlap in the first year of uh, the Zach Taylor um, era here in Cincinnati. Was, I think it was his second year, first year For of the second. No, 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 era. you're right. It was in the 2020 season. You're absolutely During COVID, yeah. Correct. But, you know, you saw the car- what happened with Carlos Dunlap, and the Bengals had to make a decision there. You know, Carlos Dunlap was a terrific pass rusher, but there were things he did not do as well. And, you know, Bengals and, and Lou Anarumo tried to get that across uh, to Dunlap in no uncertain terms, and he wouldn't buy in, you know, bye-bye. You know, you have to get rid of the guys like that, and they've done, been able to do that. Yeah, and obviously, I think when you look at just kind of the falling out there where he went on Instagram and, you know, everyone saw that live video where he ranted about Zach Taylor, Lou Anarumo, you know, in the Marvin Lewis era, that probably would have just been business as usual, but with Zach Taylor, they traded him to Seattle, which like you said, that was not a common thing for guys to get traded in season. But with Zach Taylor, it's like, look, we got a culture to build. We got to fix things. And so 
that's where you saw like the the beginning of the bucking of trends that we saw then up to now trading Carlos Dunlap drafting Miles Murphy in the first round because they hadn't drafted a D lineman in the first round since Justin Smith, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, and then you mentioned the Joe Mixon pay cut. You mentioned some of the moves they made in free agency uh, before this year, like they did with uh, those offensive linemen, Karras and Kappa this year, the same thing with front loading Orlando, Orlando Brown's deal. You know, I don't want to say, like, well, I guess you could say it's a new day in Cincinnati, but I think, it was a new day when Zach Taylor came and we're just now starting to see it. Maybe it well, wasn't here's clear. what I think. Here's yeah. what I think. Mo. Go ahead. I think because of what Zach Taylor has committed to and gotten his players to buy into the ownership group has adjusted uh, and the front office has adjusted accordingly, not completely changing, you know, their philosophy, but making exceptions here and there where it makes sense. And that's where it cut. That's where a franchise left tackle like Orlando Brown making an exception for a player of that caliber makes sense because you're protecting the blind side of your franchise quarterback. And by the way, anybody, and I think uh, Jay Morrison made this point on Twitter. If you, if you can go watch the Netflix quarterback series and watch every time they show Patrick Mahomes, look at uh, Orlando Brown in those clips rock solid oh yeah so you know when you have a player like that and the opportunity to get him, you make exceptions when you have a situation like joe mixon and you need and it's complex right it's not it's multi-layered as they like to say Mm -hmm. um you have to make adjustments to your philosophy where it makes sense and get a deal done where it frees up a good amount of cap space so you can move move forward and try to get the T. Higgins deal done, finalize the Joe Burrow deal. I think most of the Joe Burrow deal has been done for a while. I think they're waiting on the, you know, the T's to be crossed and the yeah. I's to be dotted. I, I believe that deal will get done. But my whole point here in rambling is that if the coaching staff, if one part of the organization shows a commitment, then the front office is going to match that. And that's what I really like about what I've seen in the last two years, two plus years covering the Bengals is they've been able to do what other teams or other, you know, progressive teams in the national football league, successful teams in the NFL have been able to do. Kansas city is certainly up in that discussion back in the, you know, 2010s the patriots certainly led that charge the bengals are at the forefront of built roster building right now in my opinion in the nfl and one other point i want to make mo before i forget yeah the way the bengals are drafting players who can come in and immediately contribute uh you know and i know luana ramo says he doesn't like to put a lot on the table of rookies but a lot of these players now that they're drafting are able to make impacts right away Mm-hmm. And you couldn't always say that in the Marvin Lewis era. And I think the fact that uh, the Bengals are drafting players that slot into certain positions right away and are able to contribute is certainly a testament to the scouting department that the Bengals have assembled uh, here in Cincinnati. Just, I, I can't overstate how important that is in terms of what the Bengals are trying to do. Because when you have these big 
contracts that are due and you're going to have to let some big ticket names go because you can't keep everybody. You're going to have to have young players step into those roles. Obviously, Jesse Bates would be a prime example of that. They groomed last year, Dax Hill, to step into that role this year. And I think, you know, let's see how he does. You know, the proof will be in the pudding, but he is, you know, exhibit A of, of that philosophy. I'm going to take a quick break and build more on that philosophy going into training camp. Again, this is Mike Petragla with me of CLNS Media. We're going to talk more about training camp and the biggest things to look at when we return right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. With me is uh, Mike Petragula, a.k.a. Trags of CLNS Media, uh, talking a lot about Joe Mixon's pay cut, a deeper look at what that means for the Bengals' philosophy under Zach Taylor. Um, so that's kind of the bigger picture stuff, and I uh, want to kind of stick with that, but with more of an emphasis on training camp. Trags, like I said, a week from today, um, we will be at training camp watching – you know, the continuation of the Joe Burrow era going into year four, Zach Taylor. Mm-hmm. I guess my first question is like, is there one thing you're going to be looking for most in training camp or what's really going to stick out to you once you start kind of getting your eyeballs in? It has to be the secondary and the safety positions, right? It has to be how Nick Scott looks. I think he's going to look very good. Um, how Dax Hill uh, works with, you know, Jordan Battle, who is obviously a rookie to be uh, – to watch very closely. How does Miles Murphy look on the edge? Where is he in the rotation? How does Cheeto Awuzie look physically? Mm-hmm. I will tell you this, and I mentioned it on my podcast, the Jungle Roar podcast, which you can uh, download wherever you download your favorite uh, podcast or catch on YouTube at the Jungle mm-hmm. Roar podcast uh, page. But um, I talked to him about Cheeto Awuzie. Both of us agree. Uh, that Cheeto looked in OTAs like he's going to be ready to go almost full speed at the beginning of training camp. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Something else I'll be looking at, uh, how many reps does Charlie Jones get with the first team offense uh, and Joe Burrow? How How does the right tackle position look? How is Jonah Williams ready to start? Will he be ready to start the preseason and, of course, the regular season as a starting right tackle? We assume he is, right? We assume <laughs> it's going to be Jonah Williams at right tackle moving over from the left side. And what do they do with L. Collins? L. Collins is going to start uh, camp, no question, on Pup. He may even yeah. start the regular season on Pup. Yeah. Um, and is Jackson Carmen going to be the backup at right tackle? One would assume that would be the case. So yeah. those are some of the areas I'll be looking at pretty closely. I'm also interested to see, too. I mean, obviously, uh, Joe Mixon is a starting running back, but I want, I want to see how many reps Chase Brown gets with the first team. You know, how does he look competing with Travion Williams? Because I would think that Travion Williams is primed to be the number two back. So basically what Samaj P. Ryan was last Correct. year, but yes, I no do, yeah, but it will be interesting to see, you know, like where does Chase Brown fit? And, you know, this is another interesting thing that might be int- interesting to watch that I didn't really think about until recently. Um, you have Chris Evans, who you would think is going to be the number four running back, but you have Calvin Tyler, undrafted rookie. Um, and there's another guy, I'm forgetting his name. I mean, there might be some competition for that. Uh, Jacob Sailors. Jacob Sailors. Thank you. I've got my roster in front of you to pick you up. Yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. I should have known that. But um, who knows? I know maybe this isn't like the biggest thing people are watching, but does Chris Evans make the roster? You know, that's you know what, Mo? That is a great point 
uh, because he is not a lock to make this roster. No, any no, stretch not at of all. the imagination. And he's got to show something. He's got to show some value either offensively, which at this point, I don't, I think what we've seen in Chris Evans is what we're going to see mm-hmm. more to the point. Can he do something for Darren Simmons's special teams that we haven't seen yet? Yeah. Or Darren Simmons hasn't seen because I think they were expecting more out of him in the return game um, or as a special teams player uh, than we've seen so far. You know, there it is definitely in the conversation. Uh, Chris Evans has uh, got to be or got to make an impact uh, in training camp and in the preseason to make this roster. I mean, you could say the same about Trent Taylor. I mean, that's why they drafted Charlie Jones. Like, can Trent Taylor show something he didn't show already? And if he doesn't make, you know, the the team as a punt returner, is there a path forward to make the roster? I, I don't see that. I, yeah. I don't see Trent. You know, in my roster projection last week, my first one of the summer, I did not have the two Trents. Trenton Irwin and Trent Taylor making the roster. Because, really? You, you don't have Trent and Irwin making the roster? Well, no. I mean, you're not going to cut Stanley Morgan, are you? You're not. I don't know. Are they? That's another no, question. I, no, no. I would... I'd be highly surprised if they cut Stanley Morgan. He is a valuable... Uh, you know, member of that special teams. Right. Unit. right. I just don't see him being cut. He does too much on special teams. He was a special teams captain. I don't see him, them cutting him. Now, if they were to cut him, yes, you, you could say either Trent Irwin or Trent Taylor has a shot, but uh, Andre Yoshivas. That's what I was going to ask about. He, I don't, you know, he's a six-round pick. Are you cutting him? No. I remember, you know, these guys could wind up on the practice squad list, uh, but you can't cut him and then, you know, put him on the you – know, he's got to make the roster. He's got to make the initial 53, um, and then he's got to clear waivers if he's going to land on your practice squad. So right. that's why it's hard to say, well, you know, just put Yosevash through – waivers well if you do that you expose them another team that saw them in the draft might say hey yeah we'll pick them up so uh, you usually don't spend draft capital to expose a player to waivers to try and sneak them through to your practice squad usually don't do that yeah that makes sense that's a good point but obviously it's different for a guy like say Trent Irwin or Trent Taylor or Stanley Morgan I don't think they cut Morgan but I could see him having to compete for his spot because it's a numbers game in terms of like how many wide receivers are you going to have behind the starters and you know he is important on special teams which is why I think it'd be hard pressed to see them cutting him but again it's like can you still make it fit with Yoshivas and uh you know Trent and Irwin like how many of those guys do you want to keep but Charlie yeah. Jones is going to be the punt returner I yeah. mean I would be surprised at this point if he were not the punt returner because I, I think they see explosiveness in his game and they look how many times have you and me been around Darren Simmons or you know obviously Zach Taylor and heard yeah. We need more explosive plays, whether oh, yeah. it's special teams, whether it's in the running game, whether uh, it's a, a kick return. And we don't even know how that's going to look this year um, until we see it in, in action. Uh, but the Bengals are looking for more explosive plays. Yes, the most important play a, a punt returner can make is, you know, getting up and handing the ball to the official. We understand that. That's what Darren Simmons always says. Yeah. Always says that, but he knows (laughs) full well that 
you can't just sit back there and fair catch the ball all the time because then why do you have a you know a punt returner back yeah. there? Yeah, you need you, you need some positive yards out of that position and changing the field position in a positive way. And Charlie Jones gives you the capability of doing that. And you know, I think the more times you can put this offense in a position where either they start in field goal position or they're one first down away from an Evan McPherson 50 to 55 yard field goal. Anytime you can do that, you increase your odds uh, for putting more points on the board and uh, giving this offense a chance to outscore people. Well, that's how the Chiefs got to the Bengals. On the flip side of that, they got positive yards on that last drive with Sky Moore, and it only took Patrick Mahomes three plays to get Harrison Bucker in field goal range. So, yeah, whether it's getting positive yards or keeping the other team from getting positive yards, those are two things the Bengals have to address because both of those things hurt them a lot last year, especially in the AFC Championship game. And not that it all came down to that, but it was a big part of it. I do wonder, too, though, with the offensive line, you know, you mentioned right tackle. Uh, Obviously, Jonah Williams is in the driver's seat, and really Jackson Carmen is the only other guy on his tail end. I wonder, though, what happens with Cody Ford, Hakeem Adeniji, Deontay yeah. Smith. That, that, that's going to be a lot of stuff to look at with those guys. How many of them make it? Where do you put them? It's going to be interesting to see that. Uh, how many offensive linemen do you have them keeping? I have them keeping right now 10 because that includes, okay, that includes um, Lael Collins. Yeah. That includes Jackson Carmen uh, and jonah williams i think they the, all three of them are going to wind up somehow some way on the roster maybe um lael winds up on the pup and then moves to you know the returnable uh injured reserve we'll yeah. see how that works out but you know nine to ten players is what you're looking at um i think you know it, obviously the starters are locked in place I like Max Sharping. I like Jackson Carmen to make Trey Hills your backup center. Yeah. Um, Collins and then Hakeem Adeniji. Those are your 10 offensive linemen to me, right? Yeah. So I guess Cody Ford and Deontay Smith are just going to have to. Oh, I know. And I have, let's see, I had Cody Ford making it. And uh, who? no, I, I had Cody Ford making it over Hakeem Adeniji, I believe. I yeah, believe, yeah. I could. I see believe that. that's what I had. Yeah, because the problem is, I think Adeniji and Ford are both going to compete at right tackle, and neither of them is going to win the job. So that means only one of them can stay as a backup, and it's going to be tough for Adeniji because I know the team values him. He played at guard, he played at swing tackle, right tackle, but you got to consider too that like he went from I mean, a starter he, to a backup, he, so it's tough. Here's the here's the thing, Mo. You don't sign as a, a free agent, Cody Ford to not make the team exactly Un- unless he's i mean so god awful in training camp and he's overmatched and somebody didn't evaluate something or didn't see an yeah. injury or something like that you don't yeah. sign a guy like Cody Ford to cut him in training camp that that would be my impression so you know they made six free agent signings right in the offseason in March all six of them should make the roster i mean th- th- there's no scenario where any of those six don't make the roster right yeah yeah it's just tough for a Denji because he's gotten so many chances and he's played so many spots that you look and say you know he could be a practice yeah, squad practice guy. squad guy yeah 
kind of like Isaiah Prince. Like that's what happened with him. He was a backup and then he had to start for Riley Reef, played all the way through the Super Bowl, but we saw how he played downgrade to the practice squad. And now he's not on the team anymore, which is, you know, kind of part of how, you know, that the team's really trying to rebuild that offensive line. But no, that was just something I wanted to make sure I, I, I acknowledge because, you know, the one, offensive one more line thing, is a little bro. Yeah. One more thing before I've got to go. Yes, sir. Um, Brad, Brad Robbins is making the team and oh, he is your no brainer. That's a no brainer. Oh, right. I mean, you know, people are going to say, well, what about the punting competition? You don't draft a guy out of Michigan sixth to not and trade make a pick to get him. Right. Well, yeah. exactly. Great point. Um, yeah. They're just not going to do that. They're yeah. not going to do that. Um, and Drew Christman's going to wind up back on the practice squad. I think we can all see that coming down, coming down the highway, you know, coming over the bridge. Um, yeah, there I you just, go. yeah, I don't, I, uh, you know, I think they're pretty set in specialists. Um, again, Charlie Jones as the punt returner uh, will be an interesting storyline to watch uh, as we approach preseason games. Yeah, I agree with you. I, re- I really think that's going to be the case. But um, yeah, I think those are the kind of the big like, roster spot questions to see. Very last question before I let you go, because I know sure. our time is short here. Um, and I know this is another discussion of itself, but just a short answer. What is the over under that a Joe Burrow deal gets done before hmm. July 30th? Um, I'm going to say it's going to be announced next week, first week of camp. Um, so I'd say the odds are five to two. Yeah, I think so too. I I'd say the, uh, the it's odds on that he definitely gets signed, uh, uh, before the beginning of August, even if Justin Herbert isn't signed. Yes. I think at this point, it's not as much about scoreboard watching as it is making sure all the pieces fit together for the Bengals under their salary cap and everything makes sense. And I think Burrow has been told that, and there is an understanding between the two sides. Otherwise they wouldn't have gotten this far uh, in the process. The Bengals, no question uh, have been as straightforward with uh, Burrow's representatives that, you know, look, we've got, obviously we want your quarterback and we're going to sign him for, six to eight to 10 years, whatever it winds up being. I think it'll yeah. be shorter because, yeah. you know, that is more player friendly. Like Jalen Hurts um, and Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, 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 I'm thinking seven to eight years. I'm going to give you uh, at 45, 48 million a year, something like that. Sure. I think just kind of like I what Patrick Mahomes did, you know? Yeah, I think that's. And it's not going to be as long as the Patrick Mahomes contract. I just yeah. don't see the 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 Burrow side agreeing to that. But um, you know, the Bengals want to make sure that they get the T the T Higgins deal to me is the more dramatic deal coming down the pike. We all know the Bengals are going to sign Joe Burrow. I mean, it it would be the end of the world if they didn't. At this oh yeah. Point. Oh. I yeah. mean, really. Oh, yeah. The the bigger story is. T Higgins. Yeah, that's the big one. Can they get T Higgins done and at what price? And if that's the case, can they get then Logan Wilson done? And if they get those two done and then get Jamar chase done down the road, and he's going to at least have three more years in Cincinnati, uh, things are lining up pretty well for this team to be in a, in a championship window for the next three to four years. 
There you have it. That's Mike Petraglia joining us, breaking down a lot of awesome things just in time for training camp next week. Trags, appreciate you joining me. This was a lot of fun, and we'll have to definitely get together soon in person. Definitely. And of course, uh, by championship window, maybe I misspoke there. As long as they have Joe Burrow, as he reminds us, the Bengals are in a championship. There you go. There you go. All right. Stay with us. I will be back solo tomorrow, breaking down our top 25 Bengals for this season. So make sure you tune in for that. And we'll read more Bengals fan responses with that. But once again, for myself and my special guest, Mike Petraglia, I'm Muhammad Amman. We will see you on